Hello, and welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. And once again, I am EJ Kerwin, and I am without Tara Kerwin today. She is away, and I'm uh, doing what I did a few weeks ago, where I, I'm interviewing one side of a coupleship. And our goal here is, is just to have an understanding of all relationships are very different, but there's some universal struggles that people face and the way in which they cope with them are often very different. And so our goal is to support all of you out there in in maybe understanding something about your partner through hearing this conversation, uh, maybe understand something about yourself and your own obstacles that you are up against. And so I'm, I'm lucky enough to once again, have a have a really good friend on, a colleague, somebody I, I respect. Uh, he's in the mental health profession as well, and he's just a very interesting, uh, very intelligent person, and I'm, I'm glad to have him. Uh, welcome, Tim Mills. Hey, how you doing, EJ? I'm doing great. I'm I'm actually I also want to like refer people back. Tim was on the podcast probably about six months ago. He owns a mental health facility in town called Cathexis, and then he also has another business called Cathexis Psychedelics, and he came on and he spoke a lot about, about ketamine-assisted therapy. And so that is was a really fascinating uh, episode and something he has a lot of information about as well. So, I mean, Tim, can you just first give us like, you know, as much as you can, a breakdown of like, hey, this is this is Tim. This is where I came from. It's what I've kind of been doing within my life. This is how long I've been in relationship. You know, the, just just a little encapsulation of who you are. Uh, sure. I, I want to start out with uh, acknowledging Tara not being here. And yeah, um, I know that's got to put a little extra responsibility on your hands. And I'd try to pretend to be Tara, but I don't think there's anybody <laughs> no. on this planet who could pretend... No. I, I can't her. bring that amount of sunshine into it's this room. Just, yeah. She reminds me, like, being around her is, like, when I was a child growing up in Iowa, and on the kind of summer-autumn nights, uh, we had a property that was right on the edge of kind of a foresty woods area, and all the fireflies would just come out, and the sky would be just completely lit up with the blinking fireflies. And as a kid running in that, I mean, it's literally like dancing in the stars, and that's kind of the same kind of body yeah. feeling that just being around your wife brings. She is amazing. Like she lights, not only does she like light up a room herself, but she lights up all of those people around her. And it's just amazing, like like just to witness it. And and it's why I fell in love with her was like, I remember like the day she walked into the Mirasol eating disorder facility and she had gotten hired there and I'd been there. And she walked into the staff room and I was like, oh my God, like this person is like ebullient. Yeah. Like, well, it's like when we, I was mentioning the other day when uh, we did a dinner together and we hadn't seen each other for a while. And so my wife, Susie, her her mother had just passed away. And so she was kind of going through a difficult time because, you know, she's Greek and you got my big fat Greek wedding. My life is kind of a mashup between my big fat Greek wedding and the Simpsons. Uh, <laughs> You're yes, the Simpsons? Yes, I'm Homer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so she's been feeling down. I've just seen it weighing on her. And we got together at a local restaurant. And Susie got there later. She had to meet up with us. And as soon as she comes in, she sees Tara. And Tara just turns on her magic. Yeah. And just the look on Susie's face, how she lit up. It's like you could tell for a moment she forgot everything yeah. 
that was weighing on her. And, you know, she looked like she was, you know, a young 20 year old kind of college girl again, you know, that just that, that joy free about her was just, it was amazing. So I absolutely agree with everything you're saying about Tara. Yeah. Well, so tell us about yourself, Tim. Yeah. So for me, uh, born in a small town in Iowa, um, our family moved to Houston. So that was quite a shock. And uh, then while I was in Houston growing up, while I was in college, was working uh, with some friends. We had the opportunity to open up a laser tag place together. I know, right? (laughs) That that dates you definitely. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And uh, so as we were doing that, one of Susie's friends, actually her boss, where she worked at like a Target photography studio in Dallas, uh, had been involved in the laser tag community at one point. So she was moving back down from Dallas to Houston, and so Susie was helping her move. So that's kind of how we met. And How uh, old were you guys? My gosh, I was was probably 23-ish, and she was... 19 or so. So there's a little bit of an age difference. Um, but I'm kind of immature in many ways. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) you are a 17 year old, 23. Exactly. You got it. Uh, hello, ADHD. (laughs) And, uh, so yeah. And we just, you know, she didn't like me at first, Susie, just because she kind of had developed a friendship with one of my partners and the partner was there kind of, instead of operating the place was there more as his own personal playground and so I was kind of holding him accountable to that. So she triangulation, you know, mm-hmm. as we've studied, kind of started to take place. And she identified with her friend and so was getting kind of mad at me. And, uh, you know, if she were here, she could tell the story much better than I could. But she didn't really care for me at first. But somehow something I did, uh, not intentionally, that's for sure, because I'm not that sophisticated, kind of got her to take another look at me. And yeah. that was... My gosh, uh, 1990, so 33 years 33 ago. years ago. When was the moment where you were sort of aware, like, oh, wait a minute, there's like something here? Yeah, um, well, so, okay, that's a really good question because there's kind of different levels of there's something here. Um, and I'm sure you can identify with that, you know. So there's that initial attraction. And so I knew the first time I saw her, I was like, okay, She's cute. She's interesting. I, you know, I could go out on a date with her. Like I could see that happening. Then as time progressed, I would say it was probably another year before it was like, oh, wow, this is like really has a lot of potential. You were dating for, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So we were dating and there was a a small disruption in that, in the sense that uh, we had been dating for about three months and then I got called up for desert storm. And so that was really rough, you know, because we just started dating and she's in Dallas, I'm in Houston, so it's 250 miles apart. So we're doing this long distance relationship, but we're both kind of young and and clueless to uh, how impractical that was. So we're making the trips to see each other and still seeing each other regularly. And um, then I get called up from the reserves to go to Desert Storm. And then we didn't see each other for probably another good six months or so. Uh, I think it was like June or July. I think it was July when I got back uh, and I was activated like in November. And so then when we got back, and so I'm sure that played a a dynamic too and kind of the bonding because there's this whole group think about uh, our troops and all that and certainly not going to waste an opportunity on that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
you're like the uh, you know that famous like World War II uh, photo in, in Times Square where like the guy gets off the bus and, and his you know he kisses the woman that's yeah, been waiting for that's him. Yeah, that's it. Or the sailors getting off the boat. You know? Yeah. So yeah. So then you know we dated for probably another six months or so. And then I started to realize, like, I remember her coming down one time and I was like, okay, this is really the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. What was it about her? You know, I don't, I don't know if there's anything that I can, that inevitable is kind of a word (laughs) that says this transcends words. There's just something about the love. It's like, okay, this is it. You know, there's just something about the shine in her, you know, where Tara is the lightning bugs and like that. Susie is kind of like a beach sunset you know she's more quiet but she's just so stable and so serene and you just look at her sweet and kind you just she's like one of the kindest people i know yeah so whereas tara kind of lights up the room she just down regulates the room you know makes everybody calm and makes everybody feel safe and and stable and so there was just something about that with like looking at the sunset and just saying wow you know i've seen a hundred sunsets before but something about this one just made me say, wow, this is special. How did that like fit in with you? Like, what was it about that feeling, that sunset feeling, that regulation that you said that she regulates a room? Like, why did that fit in with you? Yeah, I, I can't completely explain it. You know, I've thought about it over the years. Part of it, you know, to not get too clinical with all this, I think there's probably some attachment stuff that played in there. That there was kind of a fear of over-investing or getting, you know, when you have various forms of attachment trauma to whatever degree, because it's it's inevitable that we're going to have attachment trauma to some degree. Everybody does because relationships are complicated. I think at that point it just hit where I was willing to say, okay, this is, it's not too scary to get too close to somebody. This is somebody that I can get close to and I'm not scared to do that anymore. Yeah. She felt safe. Yeah. And then that night she broke up with me. (laughs) (laughs) That led to a week of uh, turmoil for both of us. Emotional turmoil. Yeah, but we worked through it. Yeah. And and, and that kind of leads to the point of kind of the Disneyfication of relationships. That, you know, we've grown up in our culture with this, the princess falls asleep and then the prince is a toad or whatever, whatever Disney fantasy it is, but they... They kiss and they meet and they finally get together and then it's happily ever after. Yeah. And it's that's not, not the way the it works, yeah. man. Yeah. It's a relationship, a marriage. These are all points that are starting points of a new faucet of the relationship. Yeah. And there's work that has to be done starting then to continue on. It's yeah. not something like you get to it as a goal and everything's great. Yeah. So You know, I was talking to a couple the other night and we were talking about like that there are moments in relationship that are can be, if you're not careful, points of divergence. You know, they're often like stressors. They're having kids. They're, they're uh, big changes in location or, or job or, or deaths in your family, right? And if we don't course correct in those moments, sometimes we drift apart. Can you think of like an early, you know, the first time in your relationship where there was a stressor and, you know, maybe your attachment wounds or just your styles really got highlighted and it became a significant stressor in your life? Yeah, I think, you know, with her being from the big Greek family and it's a very community oriented family, you know, that's extended family. We, um, as the movie illustrates, you know, you get you get together and there's a goat and 50 people in the front yard. You know, it's that kind of 
get together. And then I'm from a, a very Caucasian, white, uh, small town, Iowa. And we had big family get togethers, but it was a small town in Iowa. And, you know, I grew up with both sets of my grandparents that work in town. Both of my parents were born and raised there. So we did have a, a strong kind of nuclear family, but it wasn't nearly this big thing like that. Yeah. And uh, so I think that led to some, you know, because there's an etiquette and when you're in a more communal family like that about there's certain things you share or don't share. It's a little bit more political, I think, mm. in, in, in social politics, yeah. whereas in mine stuff, like our family shares finances with each other and share, you know, the, the communication's more direct, but the boundaries might not be as complicated. Yeah. I mean, that's a big one for, for couples is when, is that blending of families together um, and not necessarily blended family with stepkids and all that, but just literally like when we get married, when we decide we're, we're partners, like how do we manage in-laws and how do we, the boundaries we have. And so that was sort of, it was a struggle more so for you or for her or both? Well, I can't speak for her, but I can imagine I probably <laughs> was a struggle for her yeah. uh, several times. Um, what was hard for you? Uh, hard for me was like the stuff that you don't say to family that you keep quiet because once it's out there, then it's out there to the entire family. And again, it comes a little more social political. And so I would get frustrated with, you know, her taking this measure of tact sometimes. And that kind of goes with, you know, personality, of, as we talked about, just kind of being stable and making everyone feel safe. She's more that. And as I self-disclose, you know, the ADHD, I'm like, mm, let's talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, uh, you know, the consequences, what the, what the heck are those, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that created some stuff. Uh, one of the spotlight points that came to mind when you asked the question was moving out to Tucson. Because we were in Houston at the time, and we had just had our first child, and Tia was about six months old. And Susie wanted to come out here to Tucson because she had extended Greek family out here. And I, my only family were my mom and my dad in Houston. And so I had nothing out here or anywhere else. But we went ahead and we moved out here, and you know that was a decision I had to make. But that could have been a diversion point. That could have been something that made things really complicated. Yeah. And I had to, you know, I had to choose on another layer, another level again of, is this relationship important enough that I'm willing to upend my home turf where I'm comfortable and start out, you know, no job, nothing, yeah. uh, bounced around for years trying to find a decent job here yeah. in Tucson until I ended up going back into counseling and then things kind of took off. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like for you, like you made a sacrifice yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to put myself <laughs> on the level of you know any saint or anything. So, uh, but yeah, it was a choice that I made. Yeah, yeah. What was difficult about making that that transformation or that well, I mean, transition, just moving a thousand miles away and having no connections whatsoever. All my friends, I had a tight group of friends. You know, we were the nerds who played D and D and ultimate frisbee and all this other stuff together. And we grew up and we were stayed very close to each other. Yeah. And I was leaving all of that. And what did that, within the two of you, when you moved out here, when you went through that major change, she kind of reunites with family, you leave family. How did it impact your relationship? Um, it, it put stresses on it, you know? And again, that goes back to kind of the Disneyfication that I'm talking about is like, okay, this is another layer of work and you have to consciously make a decision that you're not going to just run with the emotional, that this isn't like my emotional salvation in this relationship 
And I'm going to make the other person kind of responsible for my emotional security. I've got to do this work of what I'm being triggered about and figure it out. And that's my work to do. Yeah. And that's prior to getting into counseling and maybe having some of the information that you have now. At the time, like, what did you see were some of your adaptive traits that like maybe became were disruptive to your your relationship being connected? Yeah, I, you know, you started asking that question instead of disruptive. I was going to think of what helped with the resilience to maintain it, um, and that might be good, you know, to share with the listeners too to at least share my story of what it is that helped me get through yeah a time. And I, and I think the sense of loyalty, you know, having grown up in a small town in Iowa with that close family really developed a sense of being loyal to people. And when you make a commitment, you stick to it. Remember joining a bowling league when I was a kid and after two weeks, hated it, wanted to quit. And my dad was like, no, you signed up for it. You're going to finish the league. And then you can quit after that. So it was that kind of quality that was instilled yeah, that like was a, helpful. Like a value, like yeah. your, your value that I've committed to this relationship. This is difficult, yeah. but I'm gonna I'm gonna make it through it. Yeah, and then the other thing I think that was helpful was just an innate sense. What I've learned clinically is often known as an internal locus of control, which is I'm not even going to try to control anything outside of my own behaviors. Yeah. You know, I can influence it, and I can hope and expect, but I have to hold on to the fact that I don't control it, and if it doesn't go the way I want then that doesn't give me the right to be upset or angry or to rage or, you know, to kind of behave poorly, if you will, yeah. to it, that I have to accept what's going to happen is going to happen. And I do what I can do. And then what's going to happen happens. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a huge point we, that we try to get couples to come back to because, you know, couples come in, in in crisis and they come in in a place where they're majorly disrupted and they've maybe even lost hope in their relationship. And they're so focused on, everything outside of themselves. And my partner would just start doing this or if they would stop doing this and, and they, they try to manipulate everything outside of themselves, which is so disempowering and so frustrating. And what we try to do is say like, no, you, I mean, the only thing you have power over is how you react to this circumstance and how you can become aware of some of your unconscious responses in these moments. And that's like really hard for people. Like, like how, so I know you had this value of commitment, but what was like that next step of like, okay, well then how do I manage my reactions in these moments? Uh, Sometimes it was just holding on and just saying, I'm not going to go off. I'm not going to go off. And and it's not that she did anything wrong. It's just the nature of what was going on in the relationship at that time. And God knows if you had her in the seat interviewing her, (laughs) which maybe Tara can get her in here and and that would be a fun podcast to listen to. She'll have her her take on it as well. And I'm sure I tried her in many, many ways. Um, So I certainly don't want this to come across as a one-sided, especially when I know she and Tara will probably hear this podcast at some point. (laughs) So I I think, but for me, you know, to maintain my own composure, it wasn't like I'm going to have this grand strategy or I'm going to fix things or it was just at that point where I was at. And of course I'd been displaced a thousand miles. And so I've got kind of my own, culture shock and depression at not being able to walk into a new job and feel like the successful, you know, male father figure that, again, thank you, Disney, you know, that has an effect. And so I had kind of some of my own depression and stuff I'm working through. It was all I could do is just like, okay, just hold on. And 
you know, try not to screw things up. And uh, that's enough. Yeah. What were the ways in which Susie showed up that helped you get through that difficult time? Yeah. I, I mean, again, going back to that, she's always responsible, always stable. Um, I knew on some level that even though times were trying, that she still cared and, you know, that there was still love in the relationship and, uh, you know, just admired her ability to be so functional and, and so reliable and, you know, such an anchor. It's like, who, who wants to lose that? Especially yeah. when I was in the situation I was in at the time. Yeah. So I got a question for you. I'm going to yeah. flip this on you All a little right, bit, do it. put you on the hot seat. <laughs> and how long have you and Tara been together? We've been together 12 years. We've been married just over 10. Yeah. So that's a, a little bit of time. Yeah. The D word ever come up in your mind, even though maybe if you knew you wouldn't, weren't going to follow through with it, but did you ever kind of just kind of have that reaction of like, no, nah, I'm out. This is it. I just, I can't do this. You know, we, we connect and we become friends with people because whether we're aware of it or not, we share values. And I'm much like you where um, I'm committed. Yeah. You know, once I make it, make a commitment, I'm committed to that. Yeah. And so, you know, in very, very passive quick moments exactly you know just when i'm you know despair when i when i find a lot of despair so it doesn't that doesn't linger with me and i don't grasp onto that and that's also you know that's my avoidant attachment style too where i'm like where it can be problematic and that i'm like oh it's okay everything will be okay and then i don't deal with shit um, <laughs> but maybe the deeper answer to that question is terror is has has a an anxious attachment and when I don't show up for her consistently or episodically in very similar ways, she has that flea instinct. And that word has been thrown around. And that's where I get really panicky. Yeah. I get really scared. And so when, when it has come up in the context of an argument or something, and that word gets thrown out, divorce, I get really scared. Yeah. You know, and I react in those moments. I, I get, you know, I go to, you know, uh, sympathetic responses of, of like, what the, fuck? no, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, so although I don't go there, I'm reactive to when it goes there. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the reason I asked that question, you know, sharing that this is a podcast and this is going to be public is to maybe hopefully normalize that that's an okay feeling to have, you know, we don't control our feelings that it's an okay to have that feeling and that reaction. And it doesn't necessarily mean what the divorce word means in a rational, logical context. It just means I'm hurting, I'm feeling despair, I'm feeling whatever. And it's okay to feel that. And it doesn't mean that that's where the relationship's going to go. Yeah. I mean, th so that's been a huge part of my process is instead of going into that panic and fear place, when that does come up, I have to take it as information that Tara is trying to like communicate just how important something is to her. Yeah. I like that. And what she needs. And so if I can get out of my not helpful responses and just see it as like, man, this is like so important to her. Whatever is really going on here is important. And we got to take a look at this and I got to take a look at myself. If I can go that way and, and use it as a, as a useful moment yeah. and not
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. like how dare you make me feel this way moment it actually has the chance to bring us closer together yeah it's kind of, it's kind of like the concept of you know change tends to happen when things aren't working because when everything's working why change it right so you stay and you get comfortable and all that it's when something doesn't work that's when you change but you have to marry that up with growth by definition requires change growth is a form of, you know, kind of reverse entropy, if you will. It's a it's going from one state to another, which by definition is change. Yeah. So therefore you can't grow unless you change. And oftentimes, by the nature of our species being so survival based, we don't change unless something's not working. Well, and and it's something that that firefly late in the room thing is something that that I was initially drawn to about Terra and continue to be. But there's a flip side that a lot that that most people don't see about her is is this other side that I've had to come to appreciate and love as well is that she will not tolerate. <laughs> she will not. She is like, you are not showing up in this way. Yeah. These are the what the needs I have, and in, what that's done is it's exactly what you're talking about. She has forced me, yeah, to change. And thank God because like because I've. I've realized in these 12 years that I have a lot of stuff to work on that I was maybe had a pretty solid insulation around it, um, which comes from my attachment history of not dealing with stuff. Yeah. And now I'm like, I'm in it. Like I'm, I'm yeah. changing and I'm, and I'm doing it for our relationship, but I've also realized like she has afforded me the opportunity <laughs> she has forced me in some ways <laughs> to embrace like really taking hard looks at myself and doing work that's really like nuanced, scary, and elusive. Yeah, and and to to go back to the the adulation of of your wife is, I've seen how she can hold people and things accountable, and she does it in that firefly kind of way that like yeah. it's accountable, but it's not threatening. It's like we need to look at this, you know, yeah. and there's just something about it that's so hopeful in the way that uh, she presents that, that yeah. I, I really respect and admire in her. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, it's like the uh, duel of uh, two therapists right. sitting across we're each on, other talking on. about their personal. So how how about you? Like, have there been moments of despair? We should in make your this a drinking game, you know? <laughs> Every time we say despair, any right. clinical word. Right. <laughs> Have there been moments of despair for you in your relationship? Oh, yeah. And, and again, that goes to kind of my attachment style. Um, I think that it's real easy for me to just say, oh, F it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what your 
your audience is. I don't want any nine-year-olds to hear <laughs> bad words. That... I don't think we have too many nine-year-olds. All right. Well, just me. <laughs> yeah. So I have those moments where, you know, for me, it's easy for that energy just to go kind of into that anger stuff. You know, it's a, it's a shame-based response. And, you know, I, tr- I try to keep that <laughs> inward as much as possible. But I know there's times where, you know, Susie's taken a lot more than than she deserved by any means and and throughout the years. And uh, yeah, that's and I've noticed, you know, as time goes on again, like I'm saying, the relationships are process. It's more and more teamwork oriented. And that stuff has, you know, she I don't want to play the the fantasy card of, you know, she changed me and, you know, that we go into a relationship to change each other. I think there's some aspect to that. But I think it's just we've evolved as a as a couple and our communication and our trust, you know, and that trust is has to be built up over time. You can trust someone immediately, but it's not earned trust. And they may or may not <laughs> yeah. meet up to your expectations of what you're trusting them to do. And that's not their fault because they're being who they are. That's your, you know, oftentimes our own misjudgment of what we could trust them with. You have to experience somebody and see what their pattern of behavior is. Then you can decide that's how much I can trust them based on the actions they've done in the past. Because yeah. anybody can say anything. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I find and and definitely see in in you know couples worked with is that your your relationship and your partner eventually bring you up to moments of your kind of worst self coming out. Like Tara has seen the the parts of me that I hide from, like. Yeah. everybody else and and there's something about the vulnerability of relationship that like allows that yuck yeah but and, but out. then afterwards you learn like they saw me at this moment and they're still here and that is powerful yeah i, I mean and that but for me that's been a huge evolution though too is because like we would have these like you know really tough moments and Tara, like a half hour later, would be like, I feel so close to you now. And, and I'm so thankful that we got to that place. And I'm like, you know, like shell-shocked. Like it's it's really hard for me. I'm so avoidant of like, you know, really uncomfortable moments that that it those moments were were hard. And I didn't know how to like I, I didn't see the value in them for a long time. Yeah, you know, and uh, and she's that's been the wisdom that she's shown me is like no, actually those moments can can actually bring us closer together. Yeah. So my turn for my question, right? All right. Take a drink. <laughs> How much of a factor do you think having a set of your own friends outside of your relationship? So friends that you have that you do stuff that maybe doesn't involve your relationship with Tara. Does that play a role in the stability of your relationship or for your growth as an individual, or is it just kind of a coincidental thing? Ooh, I mean, that's uh, that's a tough one because that's like a work in progress for me. Tara always, she maintains a lot of relationships, especially like, you know, she, she makes time for that. And I sometimes won't, you know, like, like I, I don't recognize that I need that or I just don't prioritize it. But it's super important, right? Because because the connection I have with a friend is different and feeds a different part of me. Yeah. Then gets fed in my relationship. And if I if I try to get the needs that I have in a friendship from Tara, you know, it sort of taxes our relationships in other ways. So for me, it's been like important to 
look at like, I got to continue to maintain, you know, for me, especially male friendships, you know, I have to have some male friends, you know, I have to have people I call, I have to go do things. But like, you know, like you and I, like we've, you know, know each other for a while. We sort of like became probably friends in just in the last like couple of years. And, but we even, you know, we, how many times have you and I gone and done something, you know, together? You know, we've had, we have conversations over the phone. We get together with Tara and Susie present, Yeah, but that's a big struggle for me. Yeah. I've, you know, as we're speaking about it, and that's part of why I asked the question was let's just kind of throw stuff out there and yeah. see what it brings out. And it makes me think of, you know, from our clinical studies about the concept of individuation and how important that is. And it's kind of like you have to know yourself before you can know yourself in a relationship because you need to know what you can contribute. And you have to know your boundaries of where you begin or where you end and the other person begins and what part of your life you want to share. And I think having those friendships, those relationships outside of the marriage are important because they help with that individuation process. If you don't individuate, you get so enmeshed with your partner, I think that can lead to increased conflict because then the other person becomes more of needing to be responsible for your emotional well-being because you're so invested in them that they're everything. And then that that can lead to power differentials and and problems in the relationship yeah. that way. Whereas if you've at least got a sense of yourself outside of the relationship, then you know what you're bringing to the relationship. Well, and I think, I think men also get really, I don't know if the word is confused or whatever, but like so much of our identity comes from work. And like I get fed in a lot of ways by, especially you know, as a therapist, where you really can, you do connect with people, but there's a, it's totally lopsided. Yeah, you know, so much of I get so many of my needs met through my professional life, and it occupies such a huge chunk of my day. Sure, that then I kind of think like, well, you know, I'm I'm doing good, like you know, I'm I'm okay, I'm I'm connecting with other people, you know, whether it's colleagues, employees. But I don't get that. I think of like my friendships have a free range nature to them. Yeah. It's like you can't just go ranting to your employees or go on a rant with a with a client, God forbid. You know, sometimes our own needs that need to get met that, you know, as part of our individual expression, having those those friendships outside can be a really helpful piece to it. Absolutely. I mean, because it just feels like um, there's aspects of myself that I can't connect to except in friendships. Yeah. You know, and, and, and there's a, you know, for me, a lot of what is like um, joy is my friendships. And I had, I have, but I had more dynamic or, or more consistent connections with friends when I was younger that allowed me to like, really like play outside the lines Yeah, that as an adult, I, I haven't cultivated those. I certainly haven't given them the time. And then there's this whole part of myself that's sort of dying on the vine. Yeah. And I think as we get older, it can become more difficult with that because we get so many more demands and, and things that take up our time that we lose track of that. And it's harder to make friends and, and stuff. It's really hard. Because you, we become isolated in our silos. Whereas, you know, when you're younger, you're in school and every year's a whole new set of classes with a whole new set of people you're meeting. So it's such a social grinder. I mean, when you get older, we get settled into our little silos. And so then it gets harder to... And, and I see that with clients a lot too, you know, when they uh, have a relationship breakup or whatever, or they've got depression they're trying to... Is they don't know how to go out and make 
friends anymore. And then you add technology to the mix and how difficult it is already to, <laughs> to yeah. get together. And then when everybody's doing it through technology instead of going face to face and meeting up is easy. Yeah. Have you maintained a lot of a lot of solid friendships? Over you know, this? a lot of yeah. That's a great question. A lot of my friends from Houston that I was talking about that grew up. Uh, we get together on Discord. One of them, he's a, been a programmer by trade, and he retired a few years ago. And so he has two grandkids who are really into Minecraft, and he wanted to learn to program in JavaScript. So he become a ModCraft mod developer. And so he writes uh, mod programs for Minecraft, and uh, he's actually gotten pretty big. He has you know, 20, 30 million downloads or wow. whatever of his programs and stuff. But so then he uses us, the friends. We get together on Discord and chat, and we'll play together to play test. Yeah. his programming to look for the bugs and stuff. So we've sticked together there. Um, I'll fly out to Houston a couple times a year and we'll get together and hang out. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I do try to stick together with friends. Yeah. Has Susie been pretty supportive in that? Oh yeah, absolutely. She, uh, you know, and I think she, that's one of her, her talents is she knows how important that is to have yeah. those connections. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, at this point in our lives, we're pretty settled into like life, right? You know, we're we're both. I think you're in your fifties as well, right? Yeah, on the upper side. Upper side. But, <laughs> you know. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah. Like, what are the challenges that you're seeing in your relationship now, as somebody who's you know not thirty, not forty? You know, you guys don't even have you guys don't have young kids anymore. I mean, no, nope. they're twenty and twenty three now. Yeah, we see a lot of people who come into therapy in their 50s and 60s. And so I, I just, I'm curious with you, like yeah. what are the challenges you see in this phase of, of we're, we're really fortunate. I don't see any challenges whatsoever. We're, have continued to get closer than ever. And I do attribute some of that to, we work together in our own, you know, kind of family owned business where we have a lot of interaction. So we'll always have stuff to talk about and to share through the day. And that's really helped build kind of that teamwork sense for us. Um, and so we're really more than ever kind of two halves of the same whole and very clearly defined. She knows her half and I know my half and, yeah. but we, we work together and we're, I, I think we're closer than ever. Yeah. So, um, if you disagree, Susie, let me know. <laughs> It'd be yeah, good to know. Right. If it's a problem, then I can come back on the, uh, recently divorced podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing though, to say like, okay, so then let's like, Let's look at like foundation, like what's the foundation that the two of you built that's allowing you to go through a transition into being empty nesters, to have a business together, like what's made it yeah. work for you guys? Wow. I, you know, and I wish I could condense that magic into a, a pithy sentence for everybody and, and share that. Yeah, I, I, I do think that as we talked about earlier, that internal locus of control piece has been just instrumental for both of us learning to not try to control what the other person's going to do. Um, and to take that teamwork approach that, you know, we're in it together, you know, it's us against the world, if you will. Do you and Susie both connect on that commitment piece that you talked about at the very beginning that like, once you commit to something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, she's probably even more of a loyal person that I am. I mean, she's again, stable and consistent and the sun sets on the West it coast every day, every day yeah. you know? So yeah. 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 She's provided an ongoing stability for you. Yeah. 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 What do you provide for her? Um, you'll have to ask her cause I have no clue. <laughs> 
you know, I think I bring energy, uh, the vision, you know, I'm the vision and she, you know, I tell her, this is, let's go do this. And so I have some good perceptions and, you know, again, all those qualities of, you know, for those of you who are parents of ADHD kids, all those things that like drive you crazy as a parent are the spirit, the drive, the individualism, all that stuff, that's going to pay in spades for them when they're adults. And and I think a lot of that is what I bring. So I bring the ideas, the creativity, the vision, the energy, and then she makes it happen. Yeah. So. What a great, what a great uh, partnership you guys have built together. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm blessed more than I deserve for sure. That's sweet. More than you deserve. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> We could go deep there. We could. <laughs> We're not going to. That's another. All right. Well, hey, Tim, thank you f- so much for coming in. This, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, my pleasure, my friend. I respect you very much, and I know that you're oh, doing you. some really cool stuff, and I, we always want to give our listeners an opportunity like to hear a little bit about that. Can you tell us like just what you guys are doing? And, sure, and If somebody absolutely. wanted to connect with you and uh, and hear more. Yeah, and I just want to start out. It's, it's mutual, the respect and admiration, EJ. You're, thank you. You know, we had a class together I'm not going to say how many years ago, it was over a decade, you know, yeah. and, and I knew from that class on that, you know, there was, there was some kind of astral connection there between the two of us that, that would pay off at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah so uh, we own Cathexis and Cathexis Psychedelics. I think right now we're putting a bid down to buy property and we want to build. Um, I'd go into some of the details about it, but it's preliminary, so I won't, but yeah. I think it's going to be pretty exciting what we're, yeah. we're building and uh, hopefully ha- hope to see that in the next year or two to have that done. Yeah. What's your vision? I mean, you talked about you. You see, you know, you have vision. You have drive. She helps you make it happen. Yeah. So I. What's do your vision? My vision. Um. Well, for the building, I have definite vision of what we want to do, how we want to build it. But there's a lot of like, what if still to happen to it? So I don't want to put it out there and then have it not happen. Sure. So I'll we'll just look forward to you know keep an eye on us and you'll sure. see what's coming up with that. Uh, the vision for us is I want to keep a heavy emphasis on training, um, teaching at NAU. We really want to make our facility a place to really grow young and talented therapists, and uh, by that way I think I can make an, a bigger impact and help in the community than just being in the chair by myself all the time. Yeah. That's one of the most exciting things that that sort of organically happened for us as well is that therapy is amazing. Like I I still love, you know, the days where I where I have direct contact with couples or individuals. Yeah. And I love that like that that focused concentration on helping, you know, one person or a couple. But when you start to work with therapists and you support them in their process, there's this exponential positive impact you're having on the world yeah that, that every one of those people that you're supporting in their in their skills is contacting over their career thousands of people and that i mean that's just like uh right and then thinking forward of how they might go into supervisory roles themselves and hopefully we can model uh, what a positive supervisor looks like and yeah. but i'm also with you that you know bo- there's nothing like boots on the ground uh, yeah. as a military term. Yeah. You know, in the Marine Corps, they always emphasize small unit leadership. And that's, you know, when you lead, you're also, you're in the stink with them. And and there's nothing I love more than actually 
being in therapy with clients and getting to hear their stories and work with them. And I think a couple of things that unite you and I is like, and I don't know if I've ever like put a voice to it with you is one, I think like we both have like this dedication to like making the world a better place, you know, to, to like really impacting people in a really positive way. And then layered in is that you're like a very fun person. Oh, you know, it's, it's fun. And, and man, this can be heavy work, but it's actually like a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, um, I wouldn't want to grow old with anything else. Yeah. We're lucky. Well, one of the things I wanted to end end with um, putting in here is there was a movie in 1978 that is a very campy and cheesy movie. It was written by Bruce Lee and one of his students who's a celebrity at the time, Bruce Colburn, I think was his name. And uh, it was called Circle of Iron. Oh, I never saw it. And this. Bruce Lee unfortunately passed away before the movie actually got made. So David Carradine was the main actor. Okay. So imagine yeah. a Bruce Lee movie meshed with a David Carradine movie. And that yeah. gives you the kind of the feel of how the movie is, right? Yeah. Like real 80s B movie kung yeah. fu yeah. stuff. But when he wrote the script, it was really based on a lot of his Zen Buddhist principles. And so there's the guy who's going through the journey and he's trying to find this book that has this mystical meaning to it and he wants to find the guardian of it and defeat the guardian of the book and then along the way he meets this character called the blind man who's kind of like the guru uh joseph campbell's mentor figure in the the hero's journey if you will and and then bruce carradine plays like every other character in the movie just about except for one but they're different characters (laughs) it's hilarious But at one point where he's being guided by the blind man, the mentor character, he's reflecting on something he learned on one of the trials to getting to the book. And it was about he had this relate. he fell in love with this woman and they got together, they hooked up or whatever. And then he woke up in the morning and and she was dead. She had been killed by the tribe leader of the place where she was at. And so then he's like processing and he realized that it's all really was just a metaphor and that he can't possess the woman, that something he really wanted, he can't possess it. And the blind man's response was, each moment that passes changes you. You do not, cannot possess even yourself. How can you hope to possess anything else? Hmm. And and I think of, in terms of a relationship, like with Susie and I, you're asking about what's one of the resilient factors. I think that goes with that internal locus control and that sense of, I don't possess her. She doesn't possess me and we don't try. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I identify a lot with that of like, I can't control Tara. And (laughs) when I, when I have that instinct to do it, it's a bad instinct. You know, it's a bad instinct because, because that's what I've loved about her is, is that she is not controllable. So why take that away? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Why take away what's, what's amazing and and beautiful and uh, about her and then just as a clinician, I also see it of like how much we, I see people wanting to control their partner's behaviors, mostly out of trying to create an environment that then they will feel more at ease in, you know, and, and uh, that letting go, you know, and, and the other part of that, I guess, was that, that, that you can't control yourself, you know, you, yeah. um, you can give wiser and more, you know, insightful, um, but letting go is a pretty important part of wellness. Yeah. Right on, man. All right. Well, thank you again, Tim. 
Uh, thank you, everybody out there for listening. We appreciate you immensely. Every single email we get with with ideas, with the struggles that you're facing, really help us create this podcast, which I know because I've gotten feedback is really helping people. And so thank you. You know, please, if there is anything you want us to take on, you want us to talk about, please send us uh, an email, uh, info at relationshiprenovation.com. We appreciate everybody out there. And as Tara says, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the same. Me and you have all the fame we need. Indeed, you and me are we. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.